0: Welcome to another episode of Going Back, 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 the sports podcast bringing you all the best of sports, both past and present. Once again, this is your host Brian Gay and my co-host Tom Young. Hey
1: Brian, back here with another night. We're going to capture obviously some current topics in the sporting world, mostly NFL and some baseball. And then we'll also take you back to the week of September 17th through September 23rd.
0: Lots of fun histor- lots of fun sports history facts this week. Um, it was hard to choose, I would say, when when I was going through everything I could find. It's hard to limit it to three.
1: For sure, especially with, you know, NFL ramping up, getting closer to the basketball season and hockey season starting, so it's not all just baseball-related facts and stories we can give to all of our listeners out there.
0: Hey, and I mean, there's lots of other uh, little obscure ones. Uh, a lot of tennis stories going on right now. There's a lot of go- I know you're a big golfer, so a lot of golf out there as well. Yeah, some Olympics. Um, maybe some we can dive into, dive into some of that in the uh, as we get going as well. Always some interesting stuff, but to
1: kick us off tonight, uh, got another good fact here for you, Brian. So Ted Williams, you probably have heard of him, right?
0: Yeah, i a Boston Red Sox, dude.
1: Yeah, pretty good baseball player. <laughs> um, believe it or not, he only had 24 career stolen bases, but he is only one of four players who have stolen a base in four different decades. Interesting. Do you know what decades they would be? Oh, jeez.
0: Um, You can probably guess two well, of them very easily. Yeah, so, so I, I'm off here because i don't recall exactly the decades he would have played in i want to say like my mind says 30s 40s 50s and 60s but
1: that would be correct 40s and 50s i feel like are the giveaways and it's just is it 40 50 60 70 or yeah 30 40 50
0: 60 so i get you know it's tough when you look back on like the old like the older years in baseball like 1920s 1930s I feel like a lot of those guys in the lore of baseball kind of blend together. So when you really put into perspective which ones played when, um, kind of helps to break up that timeline because uh, it can get a little jumbled otherwise. Yeah, get a little lost
1: in the sauce. Um, so the most stolen bases Ted Williams ever had in a season was four. I mean, I don't, obviously, we never watched him play, but you would think someone who's hitting a, what was his career batting average here? 344 for his career. You think he would be a little bit of a, not a burner, but at least be able to attempt more stolen bases. He didn't attempt a whole lot either. He would seems like the most he attempted in one year was eight because he stole four bases in 1940 and got caught four times. <laughs>
0: well, I feel like this comes back to the conversations we had about Wade Boggs recently where the man batted 300-something, 200-plus hits multiple times and had like 10 stolen bases. Yeah, just good good contact guys, not built for speed. I mean, I, I feel like, and I imagine you might be in a similar vein. When I played baseball— I could put the bat on the ball, but when I'm on the I was not exactly blazing around the base paths. I wasn't blazing around the base paths
1: either. Um, I was more known as a smart base runner. So like I could make a good read on something, but you wouldn't be the one catching me just going a straight steal. I have to be no. making sure the ball gets just far enough away from the catcher.
0: Yeah, no, that's same here. I'm not not built for speed, unfortunately. Built for some power, but not for speed. <laughs> yeah, man. So um very, very interesting though. I mean, Ted Williams is a great hitter. Um, I feel like he's known to be like one of, if not the best, pure hitter in the game. Like we thought, we've talked about Pete Rose a few times, obviously being the all time hits leader, but I think that's just inflated by availability more than anything. I mean, his the average was there, but I bet you there was. I I can not bet you. I know that there were many better hitters out there than him. He just had more years than anyone else, and Ted Williams I think would be well on that list.
1: Ted Williams, I didn't realize this. He actually had 521 home runs.
0: Yeah, because that's because he wasn't stealing bases. He was out here hitting dingers.
1: Yeah, 24 career stolen bases. That's a pretty
0: quiet 500 home runs because he's known. Like people talk about when they talk about Ted Williams, they talk about batting average, right? And how he hit over 400 for one season. Yes. Every time Araya starts off the year over 400 or in the 400 range, the Ted Williams conversation comes up, and I get it because it's so unique in the game of baseball. But like, come on, that's not even you can't even compare the two.
1: No, so he had one legitimate season of hitting over 400. There was two seasons along his career I'm guessing because of injury he didn't play more than 37 games. Can't count that when you hit 407 for 36 games. But in 1941 he played 143 games and hit 406. So what would you say is more impressive? Him hitting 406 at the age of 22 or him hitting 388 at the age of
0: 38? I'm going to go 388 at 38 that's where I would lean to just because I know your body tends to slow down and it's harder to keep up. It's harder to stay in shape. It's harder. The eyesight's not it. The eyesight starts to go a little bit. Um, I'm hopefully not that much by 38, like, but you know, compared to 22 and we're seeing what some of these young guys are doing in the game these days. And it just like, it makes sense. The fresh young athletic, I mean, 400 at 22 is still amazing. Um, absolutely unreal. But I think the 388 at, 38 especially because it was you said 388 at 38 right yep that is correct that's pretty cool i think i like the numbers 38
1: 38 and he played in 132 games that year too so it's not like he squeaked out like 90 to 110 games wow decent season had 547 plate appearances hit 26 homers 85 rbis 458 on base and I'm sorry, five twenty six on base and seven thirty one slugging.
0: One of those guys that I think is just truly uh like when you we talked we've talked about Hall of Famers that don't really feel like Hall of Famers, like this year's class of Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff. Um, this is a clear cut. This is what the Hall of Fame is made for and built for. As guys like Ted Williams. So
1: not the Hall of Very good. This is a <laughs> true Hall of Fame. Yeah, this is one
0: of the best of the best and someone we can talk about forever. But Tom, it's football season. Sure is. It's football season. We've had some very fun football through two weeks. If if I do say so myself,
1: it has been quite the
0: interesting start to the season.
1: Um, your Bills—they definitely bounced back with a nice win against the Las Vegas Raiders. Cut off to a shaky start, right? Down seven, nothing. But yeah, down
0: seven, nothing, and rounded thirty-eight to ten from there. Yeah, you know, you just you know go off and score. I was going thirty-eight to three after that. I say you're winning that football game. I said it last week on our podcast. I'll say it again. Josh Allen plays smart football. This team wins a whole lot of games, and we saw that this week. I'm not. I I said I was not shaken by the Jets' loss, and there's a reason. The, they have a very good defense. The Raiders aren't like a aren't a bad team. They did they play very badly this week, yeah. But there's some talent there. There's there's guys that should be able to make some plays, and the Bills mollywopped them. So I was thrilled about that. Uh, Thursday night with the Eagles, I think the game against the Vikings was closer than it should have been. I don't know. I feel like the Eagles are. They're going to take a little time to find their rhythm, but they can afford to do so because they're finding their rhythm to the tune of 30 plus points a game right now. So,
1: and they're two and oh, it's, it's hard to argue when you're two and oh, like I think just the expectations coming into the year were sky high coming off a super bowl loss and you pretty much return everybody from last year. And then you bring in guys like Deandre Swift and Rashad Penny to the backfield. Sure. You let Miles Sanders walk. But then you bring in, who looks like an absolute game changer in Jalen Carter. Yeah. Georgia. He had that type of mentality coming into the season that he could be that great of a player. Well, then you're expecting showing it through the two games here.
0: Yeah. Then you're expecting a true leap from Jalen hurts. I mean, he's kind of every year in the league has kind of taken a real major step up at some point. You got to wonder how far those steps can go. And I'm just saying that from watching Josh Allen develop, like he had a massive leap the one year and then, It gets smaller, but like it's you start to really see it. And I think Jalen Hurts off the bat I'll say, I think, is a smarter, um, smarter quarterback than Josh. Um, so he's already ahead of the game there. But I I think that you see another big step from him, it's gonna be very interesting. Um it seems like they're kind of trying to rein in his running. Don't let don't leave him out there to take shots, which I agree with. Um, You
1: don't need another Lamar Jackson situation on your hands where he's tearing an ACL every other year it seems like or yeah. always some sort of nagging injury speaking to an of extent.
0: A, speaking of ACLs I think this takes us to uh the unfortunate scene that unfolded in Pittsburgh last night uh with Nick Chubb I didn't watch the replay um ESPN did not show it either were you watching the game at the time by any chance so I was at bowling and you like saw it on TV and
1: then like you could like hear people like talking about yeah. it and I didn't obviously you didn't see the replay because I didn't show it and I saw a replay on Twitter last night like i I saw it. I was like, "What happened? Like, what's all the hubbub about?" Yeah, you know, everyone's saying it's like so gruesome. And then I saw a replay this morning, and I now see why they didn't. I I
0: still haven't watched it, and I don't think I. I mean, I definitely will watch it, and part of me wants to live react to it while we're sitting here. But I don't go
1: for it. So uh, I didn't. It's not like an injury where like Alex Smith or something like Joe Theismann, Sean
0: Livingston. So my brother actually, when he texted me, compared it to a Joe Theismann level uh, type of injury. Which like, I don't like. I don't know, man. That's
1: I didn't see any like bones popping out. Like that's his, true. His knee kind of just like shifted. It wasn't like the Kevin Ware situation, the Louisville basketball player who's like, oh yeah, bone was just like, I remember popping that popping out on the floor there.
0: Well, this is the second week with a gr- visibly gruesome. Oh, here we go.
1: Yeah. So week one, our Monday night games cursed. Week one, Aaron oh, yeah. Rodgers pops his Achilles. Week
0: two, Nick Chubb. I'm going to have to see. So the initial this. Is, so I saw this play as it happened and I didn't think much of it. And then you see him not getting up ESPN. Like the broadcast was interesting about it where they like started to talk about it and they, like they went to cut to it and then they chose not to. And you could kind of hear the guys in the booth be like, Oh yeah. That's yeah not Buck good. and Aikman were kind of like, Oh, hold on. We will not be showing that. And I honestly, I thought it was because Minka was also down. And I was worried that it was another DeMar Hamlin situation because I wasn't actively paying attention to the TV. Um. All right, come on. I'm like, where's the replay? They're not even going to show it. All right, well, you know, I get it. But, like, where's YouTube? YouTube is a lawless wasteland. I can't just, now that we're doing this. But, I mean, the going back to the Aaron Rodgers injury was very much the same. Um, same thing where, like, it didn't look like much when it happened. And then...
1: All of a sudden, I mean, he was able to what? Like walk off the field on his own power? See, I'm bad when it comes to watching games on Monday night because I'm at bowling and it's like I'm half paying attention. Oh, like I'm, baby.
0: I'm I found I'm not really it. paying attention.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you can see some Ooh. stuff definitely move in his leg from one side of the knee to the other, but nothing like popped out like a well, bone no, or anything.
0: Bone, but that man's leg bent the wrong direction. Oh, yeah, definitely mama. should not be doing that. Yikes. All right. Yeah, I don't. Nope sorry buddy r.i.p to nick jobs left knee, um because that's brutal yeah i mean
1: i've read some stuff it might be like career ending type of injuries especially Uh if like i sure hope not if you remember the teddy bridgewater injury a few years ago in training camp like he um i think he tore like everything in there but also like ruptured some like veins or something in his leg where depending how quickly they were able to operate it could have like potentially lost, like, his whole, the whole limb. Yeah. I mean, so hopefully Nick
0: Chubb it, isn't in that type of scenario. Alex Smith was in that boat, too. It's crazy, man, but it shows you where, Medi, Medi, like, uh, the world of medicine is at, where these guys have been able to pop back and get back at it, because both Bridgewater and Alex Smith are back in the game, well, have been back in the game after their injuries. I was thinking brutal, though. You mentioned the word brutal. What's more brutal? Arizona Cardinals blowing a 28 nothing lead, or 21 nothing or whatever it was, or the Broncos melting down in a game that they pretty... should have have had in the bag at that point so i'm gonna say
1: it's the broncos melting down more um arizona they're gonna be a bad team this year you gotta wonder did a call come from up top in the gm's office hey man like what are we doing we're trying to tank for Kale williams here usc quarterback
0: get kyler out of the picture
1: you're now beating the giants who did not look very good the week before on that was sunday night football against the cowboys But with the expectation that Russell Wilson had with Sean Payton coming into the helm to coach and take over for Nathaniel Hackett and all the buzz they were trying to create out of Denver, I think you have to say Denver had the worst loss there.
0: Now, do you think that is it that Russell Wilson is washed up at this point or Sean Payton or Sean Payton's not the, okay, three options. One, Russell Wilson is washed up. Two, Sean Payton is not the coach people think he is. Or three, the situation and the roster and everything in Denver is just so bad that they need to just strip it down and start over.
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of all three. Boom. Because Russ is just not cooking ever since he came to Denver. And Yeah,
0: the whole Broncos country, let's ride.
1: Was Sean Payton elevated because of Drew Brees and what he was able to do with the weapons oh, yeah, he had down probably. there? probably, but the, the offense was
0: also built around what Drew Brees did best, and that was sling the freaking rock.
1: Yeah, and get that ball out quick. I mean, you have Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara. Who else was down there that was a big name?
0: Yeah, I'm, I, see, I'm even thinking back. I'm thinking like the Marquez-Colson years where Drew Brees was throwing oh, yeah, Just throwing bombs. up top to Colson all the time? Yeah, dude, just throwing bombs. Uh, uh Jimmy Graham. The two of them, yeah, the connection they had there yep. for a while was nuts. But that was, the, when I think of Drew Brees, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. I think of a guy that just slang, the, slang that thing. Yeah, drop back
1: and out of Purdue, he had a very good career for someone who like didn't seem like he was going to make it. Struggled a little bit
0: with the Chargers and then came to New Orleans Dude, and his been the career char- took off. Could have been the Chargers' long-term answer and said they ended up with Phillip Rivers, who, not a bad quarterback, just never led him to the promised land. Um, I mean, Breeze almost ended up in Miami. Uh, there's a whole story behind that why it didn't it, like just didn't happen, and instead he's in New Orleans. Which, as an AFC East fan, I'm thrilled about <laughs> that. I wouldn't, you know, imagine a division with Brady and Breeze for 15 years. No thanks. Yeah, that would have been tough. But did you see the end of the
1: Broncos Commanders game with the like hail mary that? Was oh still? yeah, and it was like batted around, and all of a sudden, there's a Broncos guy who just catches it in the back, like at the end zone
0: yeah i feel like what you want to do in that situation i feel like we've seen at this point when they work out it's either you have deandre hopkins just mossing everybody or the ball's getting tipped a few times to a guy stand the way i would run that at this point is run all my guys to that same spot have one guy sit towards the, the end the end line and then say to my receivers hey if you're not if you know you're not getting two hands on this ball yeah tip it up punch it up yeah get it in the air and just hope it bounces back to that guy because time and time again, when we've seen this happen, it it's off, off, off of a tip. And then they go and put up a half-ass attempt of a two-point conversion.
1: Yeah, there was some, I think Denver fans were hoping for a PI there. Didn't come to fruition. And that's how it just ended up for them. You know, you end up losing the game because of that. But yeah. I don't think that play should be the reason why you lost the game. Yeah, You were up, let's see, 21 to... 3 I guess it was right. that's so what like we that. said. Uh, yeah, something like that. 21-14 at halftime. So
0: speaking of the t- the Broncos are getting beat up enough as it is, I think we need to turn our attention real quick to another team out west in that same division and the powder blue the Los Angeles Chargers have just been so unfortunate. <laughs> they're doing yeah, so start far. to the season. Like I feel like they're playing well, they just can't close out games.
1: Yeah, Herbert started off well. I've I was touting about Justin Herbert before the season started. Yeah, how he's com- going to have a great
0: year. How confident are you feeling about that Niners Chargers Super Bowl pick? I uh, well feel really good about the Niners. Right,
1: they're two zero. They look great. Um, yeah, they do look very very. Quick good. side tangent on the Niners Rams game. Um, spread was seven and a half, I believe, for the Niners in the Niners' favor. There was four seconds left in the game, and Sean McVay decided had to kick a field goal. The field goal was made, and the Rams then covered the spread because they lost by seven.
0: I feel like I would a thousand percent do that as a coach if I know I'm losing and I have any inkling what that is. You know, screw you guys. <laughs> I'm bad beat. You're gonna bad beat.
1: Yeah, that's certainly what happened. That was an awful beat because you don't expect it to anything to happen. You think, all right, just run out the clock, be done with it. Next thing you know, yeah, you got all these people at home celebrating. The i sure there's be all these guys at home pumped up about
0: their bets. Like, oh yeah, we hit. Maybe a few parlays that thought they were coming in for a for landing and that turned not, into a crash landing not and today crash and burn
1: i mean herbert you lose 36 to 34 to the dolphins who look great at two and oh the so dolphins far. look
0: like a legitimate super bowl Tua content.
1: looks awesome i i mean i did say the dolphins were going to win that division we'll see what You'd happens be,
0: you did and it's still it now it looks like a two-team race rather than the three-team we thought it was
1: right um unfortunately the jets do not look anywhere you know, the same with Zach Wilson at the helm. Makes you wonder how much longer they're going to let that ride. No, they got the, embarrassed by Dallas. Given the readiness of the roster as a whole, you have a very good outside receiver in Garrett Wilson. You brought in Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb. You got Brees Hall returning from an injury. He looked great, even though he didn't like touch the ball last week against the Cowboys. Oh, I
0: know. he cost, Dude, I lost one fantasy matchup by half a point, and I needed – and if he just did anything –
1: I mean, when you only get yeah, four carries the, in the game, though, it's tough to do a lot.
0: Less than one point, dude. It's crazy. I know. But I'm, I'm not one to bitch and moan about fantasy football. It's all a crapshoot, but God damn it.
1: Yeah, I got burned because the Steelers put up 28 points last night as a defense. Dude, I lost by like 13.
0: There's two, there's both weeks now. Anyone that had the Cowboys defense last week, they dropped like 40 points. I 40 think. points. The most points I've ever seen a defense have in my 20 years of fantasy football. And then, you know, if you get the Steelers against you, you're screwed. And I got bad burned by Boat. At least the Steelers this week in couple leagues. Oh, well. Shit happens.
1: That's why we just play and enjoy it and have fun. Yeah.
0: It would be fun, more fun if there wasn't money on the table. So
1: Yeah, that's true. Oh, well. All right. I guess one more team we want to touch on yeah. is the Cincinnati Bengals. I feel like both of us were high on the Bengals coming into the season. I mean, with how, how, Joe can you, Burrow. how can you not be? But they do not look very good at all. Oh, and two to start. They've had a very pedestrian week. One scored like what
0: three points it was. Yeah, twenty-four to three against the Browns. Who that defense though? That Browns defense looks like something serious. The Steelers won last night by no means that their offense by any means. Yeah, their offense is not two defensive touchdowns is what won you the game. Their offense is horrendous.
1: But Burrow threw for two hundred twenty-two yards. Week two in their 27-24 loss to the Ravens and what, 89 yards week one?
0: Yeah, dude. That is your five-year 275 million quarterback.
1: I was talking about this with a buddy earlier today. It's like if you get all that money, like why do you want to continue to improve? Especially, it was focused around the Deshaun Watson contract.
0: Because he has looked awful since uh, coming back. Which honestly is, it's like karma, but it's not because the man is getting all of his money. He got that guaranteed. guaranteed money.
1: Is there a worse trade that was made, given up the draft capital to acquire him, and then the contract you then handed him, than the Deshaun Watson trade?
0: No, no. It's it. This is going to go down as I think the only there's two trades that might come remotely close to this. One is when the Saints traded away all their draft capital in one year for Ricky to draft Ricky Williams, and the other is when I believe it was the Vikings traded some astronomical some of draft picks and player capital for Herschel Walker. Those are the only two. But I think, though, what really adds the extra burn to this is going to be that quarter of a billion-dollar contract you handed a very much accused sex offender um, to be a mediocre pedestrian quarterback. It's what you get. You're getting what you deserve, to be honest. In my personal opinion, you're getting what you deserve with that one. You made your bed you get to lie in it.
1: And they certainly are because they – I don't know what they're going to do the rest of this year. Like, no. where, what are they going to do to improve? You just lost your best running back, a top five guy in the league, and Nick Chubb. Yeah. They are reportedly working out Kareem Hunt, who's been in the system a bit but is still a free agent. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been good, but he's no Nick Chubb. I feel like
0: he's also a free agent for a reason.
1: Right. You're still out on that
0: market. There's plenty of teams that would have that need some extra depth. Yeah. Him and Fournette, like, there's a reason why. I, I'm more confused about Fournette. Like, at least, like, Hunt's got some off-the-field stuff that some people are concerned about. Yeah, some red flags. I feel like Fournette, I mean, he might have some more personality stuff, but I would love a hard runner like him.
1: I think the Jaguars and Bucks just kind of, like, ran him into the ground. He That's did. part of the reason why he had a ton of tread on those tires. So and you're seeing the same thing with Ezekiel Elliott up in New England, like he just looks like a
0: complete shell of himself, which I mean, he kind of has for a couple years. But I thought maybe a new a change of scenery for a team that like kind of notoriously runs the ball well, not granted, granted, so did the Cowboys. But the Patriots have also under Belichick have forever been a running back by committee team, they kind of made it popular for what you kind of kind of popularized the way you see the running backs utilized nowadays. Yeah, they had
1: the tandem was like Garrett Blunt and Dion Lewis.
0: Yeah. And then before that you had, I want to say it was Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis and like Lawrence Maroney together at the same time. I mean, dates back to like Ke- yeah, Corey Dillon. Like, oh you know, yeah. Corey Dillon, Kevin Falk went through there. Um, you know, it's, I, I never really liked Zeke, so I'm fine with seeing him flounder in new England. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting the way quarter, uh, running backs are def- definitely are a dime a dozen, but the ones that are special are truly special. Like we've been very fortunate so far to see some really good play out of a few guys, a few guys out of the backfield this week. That you know, you're not always sure that you're gonna get the best performances from, or not, maybe not live up to the hype. But like, I feel like Saquon has had at least one really good game so far. Yeah, he got
1: hurt again too.
0: I know he's t- tweaked you see something.
1: Why- teams don't want to pay the big bucks for a running back. Yeah, because fortunately they just, it seems like they keep getting
0: hurt. Well, or- it's an, ex, it's an exploited position to some extent because no position, I think gets teed up for more big hits on a regular basis. And they put their body through so much wear and tear for so often, like just three or four yards. Whereas like receivers can go 10 plays without even touching anybody else and then pick up 20 yards. A running back can run ten, run the ball ten times for twenty yards, and he's gotten smacked ten times in that. So, I mean, granted, offensive linemen deal with more contact than offensive and defensive linemen deal with more contact than anybody. But I think running backs are high up there, especially for their body shape and the fact that they they're taking the brunt of the hit a lot of times. And so they get run and and run and run and used on their rookie contracts. And when it's time to sign that second contract, so many of them are broken down, or there's you know they're they can be replaced
1: and that's where the game is certainly trending receivers keep getting paid more and more running back keep getting paid less and less like jonathan taylor that saga hasn't ended they ended up putting him on the physically unable to perform list there in indianapolis part of it is due to the ankle injury from last year but i think the other half is because he wants to get paid and they don't want to pay him what he wants and did you see some of like the requests they were looking for in trades from other teams I feel like I recall seeing some pretty ridiculous. They uh, wanted Jalen Waddle from the Dolphins. They wanted (laughs) Christian Watson from the Packers. I
0: did see. Okay, so. Those were
1: like the two that came out, plus like other stuff, I think.
0: I mean, Waddle. I feel like Waddle and Watson are two different tiers of player, in my personal opinion, at this point in their careers.
1: I think they wanted Watson because it was his rookie year that just finished. You could have a cheaper Oh, so
0: good team control, and it makes sense. Uh, But, yeah, either of those are ridiculous for a guy that, I mean, when he's healthy, he's phenomenal. But he's also a running back, and you're trying to ask for a guy that could be a 10 to 12 year stud in Waddle or Watson. So I think it'll be interesting to watch how that saga plays out. I did draft Jonathan Taylor on a team or two just to I stash him. Like, well, why not? A yeah, what do you have to lose? 12th round pick. He's still sitting there. Why not? Just kidding. He wasn't there that late. But I mean, he was. I think still, I took him in the eighth round, maybe. Yeah, I got him late in one or two of my drafts. But I don't know. We'll see how that pans out in a few weeks. But. Um, Looks like, Tom, might be a good place to take a a short break, hear a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll get back with some fun sports stories, maybe talk a little more football, and there's some fun baseball to talk. So we'll be back in just a moment. This episode of Going Back, Back, Back is brought to you by Ruchi Heating and
1: Cooling LLC, located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. For all of your heating, air conditioning, and plumbing needs, call the professionals today at 484-849-1015. Ruchi Heating and Cooling LLC, the one-stop call for your business and or home. Call them again at 484-849-1015. All right, and we are back. Thanks all to our listeners out there again for tuning in and checking out another episode of Going Back, Back, Back. Um, tonight, we did just want to mention, again, if you do happen to mention our podcast to Ruchi Heating and Air Conditioning, you will receive 10% off of your order. So give them a call located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. And they sponsored us again with our beer selection tonight. We went with the Levante Brewing Wayward Waves, a West Coast IPA. What are your thoughts on this one, Brian?
0: So I'm a, I'll am just start off by saying I've been a pretty big Levante fan for a few years now. Uh, back during COVID, they were doing drive through pickup, and uh, I know a lot of the Westchester PA community really appreciated that because they make a number of phenomenal beers. Uh, check them out if you're ever in Westchester PA. Um, great option. Uh, this is a great beer, in my opinion. Um, nice it's like light drinkable uh, but still lots of good good hops and nice sweetness to it um, not as heavy, not as thick or heavy as the new england's the hazies of the world that i know we've both kind of dove into a bit um, but i'm kind of leaning this way these days so i'm a fan so for me personally when i first tried levante
1: stuff i was not a fan at all of any of their beers i don't know what it was i tried several went there one one day with my wife and like nothing i tried i was like Yeah, I want another one of those. I was like, I need to try something else. Okay. Now, recently, I tried their, I guess you could say their flagship, right? They're cloudy and cumbersome. Yeah. I tried that. I was like, wow, this is really good. Like, what have I been missing out on? So, I texted you the other day before I picked up some more stuff from Ruchi Heating and Air Conditioning, and we said, let's go with some West Coast. I feel like we've been digging those lately. So, glad I found this one in the store. This was a great choice. Definitely recommend it to anyone, and like Brian said, they're located out here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Come out and check their spots. Cool little spot. Has some fun and games. I think there's usually like a food trucker there.
0: A couple food trucks, and sometimes do some live music and whatnot. They're really good if, you know, some breweries do things better than others. I think their big thing is their IPA specifically. Uh, They do a lot of them pretty well. They do a lot of interesting, fun flavors with some of their various beers. So definitely check them out if you're in Southeast PA, Westchester, PA. Uh, it's a great way to great stop on your way into a cool little town or maybe from making your trek into Philly, you might as well pop into Westchester. So, all right, September 17th, to uh, September 23rd, um, found some fun facts this week. Tom, what do you, what do you got for us?
1: Yeah. So we're going to start going back to September 18th, 1966, Baltimore Colts quarterback, Johnny Unitas, throws for four touchdowns in a game against the Minnesota Vikings in a 38 to 23 win. The four touchdown passes allowed him to surpass Y.A. Tittle, who had previously held the record for most touchdown passes in a career at 212. Johnny would then go on to finish with 290 in his career. Now, Brian, growing up, did you ever play a sports name game where, let's say I start with Hank Aaron, so you then need to start and follow up by naming a professional athlete whose first name begins with the letter A. Yeah. So you got someone for me? Oh, I mean,
0: uh, yeah, there's plenty, so I— See, the example he gave was Albert holes. I feel like these games are fun. I like to to throw different ones out there and uh, try try to mix
1: mix people up. The reason that this came to my mind was the Y.A. Tittle name. It's like whenever you got someone with, let's say, Robin Yount was named, you're like, oh, crap. Who am I going to name that begins with the first letter Y? Yeah. Y.A. Tittle was the one that came to me. I got Yonis Suspides. And the other's... It was always difficult if someone added with, like, a U last name. Oh, like so a like, Bobby Abreu or uh a... No, it's so like O.C.U. Oh, you,
0: oh, sheesh. Yeah. So the
1: only other one I could always think of was Ugetha Urbina, the former pitcher in the MLB. Ugatha Urbina,
0: he was a closer. I remember he played pitcher for the Marlins at one point.
1: I think he was with the Tigers. I think he even pitched for the Phillies. Uh, he was definitely in a, his he was career. a
0: journeyman. a U. that is a weird one. It's so like that's the one besides...
1: Ugetha Urbina, I don't know of anyone else who has a first name that begins with the letter U. Adonis
0: Haslam. There you go. There's one. Boom. I feel like there's a Ulysses out there somewhere or something. I'm sure there is. There's got to be. But, but yes, that's a fun game. We've done that. My family used to do that with like um, countries and stuff too, or like stuff on car rides, and it's always just a fun little way to get jog the brain, get the. It was something we would summer. do on like
1: field trips. In, oh yeah. In grade school, growing up.
0: Well, it's, it feels like one of those memes that, like, I thought my wife had showed me, where it's like, yeah, guys, just can sit around and just be like, uh no Garcia Parra. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I remember him with the Dodgers, right? Y- yeah, and just, like, throw a little fact down. The next guy's like, oh, speaking of the Dodgers, remember Eric Gagne? Oh, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, leader <laughs> in saves for a while. Yeah, and just, like, sit there and just, like, have these stupid little conversations about athletes and that's a perfect game like i think it's another reason why we both like the immaculate grid that we were talking about last week where it's just those little tidbits and that's why we do the podcast because it's brains full of this random knowledge
1: yeah my wife rags on me all the time she's like you can name all these random sports things but you can't tell me what you had for lunch today i'm like (laughs) i had peanut butter and jelly so
0: yeah i was gonna say you if it's you it was like a pb and j uh buffalo chicken sandwich and i say buffalo chicken it's the deli meat uh Tom is a pretty predictable uh pretty predictable lunch lunch guy but hey hey I mean try like to true. keep it simple try like, and true I'm here for it
1: I'm I don't need a whole you know Pasta bar buffet or no, like a piece of spread for, for lunch. <laughs> I'm
0: good, man. Just no, I am like just a simple, solid sandwich. I'm here for it.
1: PB&J, some chips. I would love a glass of chocolate milk, but I'm not bringing chocolate milk to work <laughs> with me. So we just stick with our water and add some grapes in there. A, a little chocolate syrup in your water just for a little fix. That would... Oh, man. <laughs> I'm not even going to try that. That just all sounds right. awful. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: Um. <laughs> all right. So September 19th, 1947. Jackie Robinson was named the 1947 Rookie of the Year. So 1947, the Dodgers called Jackie up to the Major Leagues six days before the start of the season. Um, Eddie Stanky was entrenched as the second baseman for the Dodgers. Great baseball name, forgettable in the annals of, annals, annals of, <laughs> of MLB history. So Jackie Robinson played his first initial Major League season at first base. He'd go on to play 151 games for the Dodgers, batted 297, OBP of 383, and a 427 slugging percentage, had 175 hits, scored 125 runs, 31 doubles, 5 triples, and 12 home runs, driving in 48 runs for the year. So low RBI numbers, all things uh, said and done. Yeah, you think if you have 175
1: hits, you could... I think he was a leadoff hitter, so... um, You still work your way into a couple more RBIs than
0: that. He did lead the league in sacrifice hits with 28, and he had 29 stolen bases... This performance actually earned him the inaugural, so the first ever Major League Baseball Rookie of the Year award. That um, was at the time was just for one for both leagues, the AL and NL combined. That did not separate until 1949. So Jackie Robinson was actually the first Rookie of the Year in Major League Baseball.
1: And then, did you know in 1987 they renamed the award to be the um, Jackie Robinson Award, I thought given so, out to the rookie? Of the I didn't year? know
0: the year, but I was pretty confident that they had named it after him. Yep. Well deserved.
1: Yeah, in honor of Jackie, they renamed the award after him.
0: That's pretty cool cuz obviously first and foremost known for breaking the color barrier. But the fact that he did so and won rookie of the year in his first year. Overall, I recall reading that he got a pretty welcome pretty relatively welcome reception from the fans and stuff. He got a tougher reception from uh, his teammates and the opposition sharing the field with him, which is right asinine i'll take a guy like him on my team any day so um he's definitely just a famous as it famous as it is but it helps that not only did he break the color barrier but he was a phenomenal player in doing so i think it helped elevate the status of what he did um instead of just doing it just for the sake of doing it granted breaking the color barrier definitely needed to be done But the fact it was done by somebody with the grace and poise of Jackie Robinson is pretty phenomenal.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you said it perfectly. I I can't really add much more to that, Brian. (laughs) So we're going to go back to 2020. Bryson DeChambeau wins the U.S. Open for men's golf. Um, That week, he really just kind of like lapped the field, beat out Matt Wolf by six shots. I remember watching it and Bryson was just playing a different game that week. So this was peak Bryson where he put on all that mass and weight to try to just hit the ball as far as he could. Where he looked like a
0: power lifter in the middle of a bunch of golfers. Yeah, he looked like a middle
1: linebacker playing on the PGA Tour. So, I mean, it worked out very well for him that week. He just decided to bomb and gouge the course. He was taking lines off the tees that, like, nobody else was. And he would be 100 to, like, 150 in every single time, it seemed like. But everybody else is like, 150 to 200 in.
0: Well, he was playing actual golf like it was a video game.
1: Yeah, he was like, I'm just going to hit it and see how far it goes. And I don't really care because I am strong enough to get it out of the rough. And the U.S. Open, they're known for their thick rough. But he was hitting it like if he did miss the fairway, he would miss like so far where the rough would be like normally would be trampled down because of spectators. But there were none.
0: Oh, because it was COVID era.
1: Right, which was the COVID era, um, U.S. Open. That's why it was actually in September, not July, like we're used to around Father's Day weekend or June. That's June, right? Yeah, June is usually Father's Day yeah, weekend. Yeah, correct. Um, so because of COVID, they pushed all the major championships back. Like the Masters was in November that year. Never, oh, yeah. They had – I remember it was the TPC Sawgrass, the Players' Championship round one. Everybody played, and then the next day, that's when, like, the world shut down that Saturday. They just stopped the event. Um, Hideki Matsuyama, I remember, was, like, 8-under after the first round, and unfortunately wasn't able to see what would happen and see if he could have held on to that that title for the Players' Championship. Um, Now, like I was touching on since it was COVID, um, golf to me is a sport where the crowd can kind of, like, really influence what happens just because it's such an individualized sport. If all of a sudden you hear that like loud roar from a few holes over, or like the group in front or behind you, it could kind of get like your mind racing and like, oh, what just happened? Like, what's going on? And then you can kind of lose focus. Sure. And then from there, if you're not focused on your next shot, that's where you can slip up and cost yourself a tournament. Now there was no crowd at the event, so I think it kind of took away what Bryson ultimately ultimately accomplished, and that was winning his first U.S. Open title.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, unfortunately, a lot of the champions of the seasons that went on that year didn't really get to fully embrace the fans or the accomplishment because it was, you know, there's asterisk like the NBA, the bubble, there's an asterisk next to, that was the Lakers, right? That won that year. Yes.
1: They beat the Miami
0: heat. Yeah. But like, I feel like nobody really counts that. Just like
1: uh, the lightning beating the Dallas stars and the stand Okay. Cup. Yeah.
0: Um But I find it, the whole Bryson thing is interesting because he, because he was also he was one of the first people that was swinging all his clubs of the same length shafts and stuff at the time. And yeah, he's the only guy. He's more yeah. of like a
1: mad scientist who like happens to play golf. Yes. Like, there's range stories of him like spraying the golf ball he's about to hit with like a bottle of water to like test it to see how it's going to react when it's like wet when you have like rainy conditions.
0: Yeah, so he like over not over calculated it. Obviously worked for him, but it's been interesting. I've seen pictures of him recently. You wouldn't even recognize him. He yeah, all, lost get, all the weight. He's all the muscles up. and weight and stuff are gone and.
1: He's back to what he looked like when he was playing, like, college golf and, like, first joined the PGA Tour.
0: Yeah, it's kind of wild. And he's playing
1: much better again. He actually said, like, he was putting so much, like, stress on his body.
0: Like, oh, probably from, if you put on that much size that quickly and all the f- torque he was putting into his, his swing and stuff. And He was
1: having, I think he was having, like, six protein shakes a day on top of, like, all of the calories he would consume. He would have, I think, three protein shakes during a round. He would have one, like, every six holes. Oh,
0: dude, like, I couldn't even imagine trying to consume all that yeah you wonder why it's just he was, so much like so much mass to take in you wonder why he was like hurt and then
1: yeah decided to then lose the weight and like be quote-unquote normal again
0: yeah because i mean what he was doing was not normal it was so, super fun to watch uh, but definitely not normal not not feasible yeah
1: just watching him go up there and like swing as hard as you can rip one 350 yeah it's right. fun but like save that for long drive competitions you're body isn't going to hold up to play on the grind of a PGA tour, 72 whole events yeah, no, week after all. week.
0: Not at all. Well, that's, that's a fun one. All right. September 19, 2004. <laughs> it's weird to say it like this, but Oakland Raider wide receiver, Jerry Rice ended his NFL leading um, all time NFL leading streak of 274 consecutive games with a reception and a 13, 10 victory over my Buffalo bills. So like I would have been 11 at the time. I definitely recall what, like I definitely watched this game. Um, but the reason I picked this was not anything to do with the bills themselves, but that to put into, um, just to put into words how ridiculous Jerry Rice was and what he was doing. So 274 consecutive games, Tom. How many seasons do you think that comes down to, like, breaks out to? If you had to do a quick little math. So let's see. There's 16
1: games. There was
0: 16 games in a Correct. season. So
1: that's 10 years, 160. Another 10. So you're not just shy of I want to say like 17.
0: That's pretty good. Yeah, so it was actually seventeen and one eighth seasons. It says he the, the streak ended in week two of the 20, uh, 2004 NFL season. So it was seventeen point one two five seasons in which he caught a ball every single game. I don't know if he if that includes any missed time. If this is just game starting, because I feel like he did have some injuries in there somewhere. It
1: would have to be whatever games he started.
0: But either way, I think that's just the absurdity there's only a handful of wide receivers that have played 17 years in in the nfl to begin with um so but to catch a ball in 17 years worth of games without a single game of no receptions is just abnormal just unreal yes it's very
1: wild so i would think it would be like baseball like if you have a hitting streak going so you have a 10 game hitting streak Mm -hmm. going then you get like you miss a week for you go on the injured list and you come back your hitting streak still yeah because technically you didn't
0: get out or you like you didn't
1: miss, uh, yeah, that makes sense. But it's not a consecutive game streak. That's the difference, I think.
0: No, but I feel like this is like one of those um, stats that's gonna kind of in the realm of like a Cal Ripken's 2,632 games, where I don't see anyone ever touching this again, just from the sheer longevity of the. Like I would say, I would guess if I had to guess, the most seasoned wide receiver in the NFL right now. I feel like it would be DeAndre Hopkins.
1: Like the best who's been there, the like
0: longest age wise. I can't think of like any of the old, any old heads that are around.
1: Hmm. So right off the bat, Tyree kill would be the oldest of the like top wide receivers I'm thinking of because chase and Jefferson, they're both way too young.
0: They've only been in the league for a few years. Interesting. Okay. So I actually, I wouldn't, I mean,
1: Devonte Adams. I wouldn't have guessed this. Um, Cooper cup. He's a little bit older.
0: No, so you're so Marvin Jones Jr. is 33-and-a-half at the start of the league year. I mean, I wouldn't put him as like a anywhere near wide receiver one though. No, is but I mean, going? just I, I mean, just I'm talking more in terms of just general longevity in the league for okay. this conversation. I, he's no, he's no Jerry Rice, DeAndre. I'm just thinking of overall longevity um, in players and just showing that how long Jerry Rice played and was able to play at a good high level. Just how ridiculous that was. Because Marvin Jones has been in the league then for maybe 10 or 11 years. Mm-hmm. The Technically, the oldest is Matthew Slater for the New England Patriots, but he, he's a special teamer. Yeah, he's caught one pass in 15 NFL seasons, but he's technically listed as a wide receiver. So. Hey, he's got that one. <laughs> More <laughs> yeah. than us. Yeah, one of the greatest special teamers never do it.
1: All right, so what's crazier for Jerry cherry rice? 274 games with a catch, 274 consecutive games with a catch, or 11 straight 1,000-yard seasons?
0: I'm gonna go with that. I'll yeah, straight street. one thousand, yeah, because you could literally show up, catch a one yard screen, and there's your pass for there's your catch for the game. But to do a thousand yards a season is for 11 years. <laughs> 11 11,
1: years yeah, eleven straight. That's years like that. a
0: highlight of some wide receivers' careers. Like there's there are guys who have had a thousand once, and it's like a milestone for them. So to do that eleven times, I mean, the guy's the greatest receiver of all time for a reason.
1: One of the best football players all time for a reason. Yeah.
0: All out of Mississippi Valley State. Little, small, I want to say it's an HBCU.
1: Yeah, I think we were touching on this last week, right? Like, there's been a couple great wide receivers. Randy Moss. Yeah, dude. Chris Carter, he went to a smaller school, too, I think.
0: Chris Carter, that does make,
1: that does ring a bell. I don't remember him being at a big school, but Randy Moss was Marshall. Cooper Cup was, he wasn't at a big school either. Cooper Cup was Eastern
0: Washington. Um... Chris Carter was Ohio State, so I'd say that's a pretty yeah. big school. Yeah, it's a big, but he school. was a fourth round pick in the supplemental draft. He had some drug issues and stuff going on early on. Um, but yeah, Randy Moss played at Marshall, um, which I mean, not huge, not a huge school. Um, he was Marshall, right? Yeah, Marshall University. Um, he played high school basketball with Jason Williams, White Chocolate,
1: underrated point guard.
0: Yeah. Those handles were unreal. Yeah, a thousand percent. But there are other HBCU players out there. I like, off the top of my head, I don't have too many ringing a bell, but I know there are. It's just not drawing a blank at the moment. We did talk about it last week. I want to say Eddie George is one of them, actually. Uh, the running back. I believe he, because he's the head coach there now. At, I believe it's Tennessee State. Uh, yeah, Tennessee State. I don't know if they're in HBCU, though.
1: I feel like since we're on the topic of HBCUs a bit, I feel okay. like we need to touch on Deion Sanders here. Absolutely. He, so it was Jackson State, right? That's where he was at? Correct. So he was the head coach there. Leaves gets an offer from Colorado. Colorado has not been a competitive football team. They're not really a competitive D1
0: school. 20 years at least. I mean, who? They had some good teams at one point. I'll say what, Cordell Stewart Cordell was there, Stewart, right? yeah. And uh, Rocket, was it Rocket Ishmael at one point? Yeah, that
1: sounds right. I definitely know Cordell.
0: Eric enemy was a running back there.
1: Ah, I did not know that one.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, so he more
1: or less brings his whole team from Jackson
0: State up to Colorado. Which I didn't know what to expect with that, and I didn't feel that confident what he was doing. But And then I'm
1: he interested. also brought in the number one recruit in Travis Hunter, who is looking like an absolute stud, playing more or less the 100% of the game, playing both sides of the ball. Yeah. yeah the yeah. fact that he did that down against TCU – in like 100-degree weather, playing both wide receiver and cornerback and missing only a few snaps the whole game. It's mind-boggling what he's doing. It's a shame he got hurt against Colorado State. I think I read he has a lacer- lacerated liver, so he's going to be out for the next couple weeks. Oh, it really puts like awesome. a damper on the the show that Colorado is putting on because Shador Sanders looks pretty good at quarterback as well. Yeah, he's looking very good. They have a tough matchup this week. They, get, they have to go up to Oregon and play the Ducks. And they are 20 and a half point underdogs.
0: I think it's it's necessary though. Cause there's a lot of hype surrounding them right now. And I think they it's put up or shut up at this point. But Dion is awesome. Did you see what happened with the sunglasses? No. The business he has.
1: So it's these, um, let me find them. They are called the blenders coach prime. He did. Um, he sold 70,000 units at $67 a piece recently over the past like week and a half and yeah. brought in 4.5 million just in sunglasses sold. Jeez. Because I think the Colorado State coach was, like, ragging on him he and his was. players for wearing those glasses. So, Deion went and gave them out to all his players. And then kind of just, like, caught fire on the internet and took over. And next thing you know, everybody bought a pair. And sold $4.5 million in a matter of a couple of days. I mean...
0: These are pretty sweet sunglasses. I know. I'm, I was. <laughs> I was you looking got me at looking them at earlier. I was like,
1: I might need to cop a pair and grab the black ones. I don't think I can rock the all gold. Oh, see, That's I was not looking me. at the gold.
0: I'm, I'm not flashy like that, but I would a thousand percent do it. Yeah,
1: just be like, be like Prime, be like Dion. Yeah, Why not? Dude, right?
0: Uh, these are pretty slick. I'm gonna stop looking at this before they show up on my doorstep. My wife's like, what? Yeah, what are these? What is this? All right. Well, Tom, I do I think you got another fact lined up for us.
1: Yeah, I got one more here for us to wrap up my fact portion of the night. Um, So September 22nd, 2004, Barry Bonds of the San Francisco Giants was intentionally walked for a major league record four times in one game. This is actually the second time it happened in his career and actually occurred earlier in the season. So when you think about it, it actually makes more sense. Would you rather give up a grand slam to the
0: best? I mean, I'll say best hitter ever. Yeah, we've said it numerous times on this podcast. I'm done defending it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> or do you just want to give up one run with the intentional walk and have the guy behind him beat you?
0: No, I, this is the year that he was just such an absolute freak. Do you know how many walks he had that year in 04? I have it here if you don't. Well, I do now because I'm looking at the note. But 232. <laughs> I didn't know the number. 232 walks in one season. That's, I imagine, the most in any season in MLB history because it's over one per game. He had
1: 362 batting average. He had a 609 on-base percentage. 609. And then eight twelve slugging with a fourteen twenty two OPS.
0: Oh, I don't care what steroids might have done for that man. That's just phenomenal. Played in one hundred and forty seven games, so he had six hundred and
1: seventeen <laughs> plate appearances. You could just we'll use even numbers here. A third of them were walks.
0: The the, the craziest part is it's a <laughs> he walked a, a, probably a solid thirty eight percent of the time was at the plate based on those numbers.
1: Yeah, because he only truly That's had three hundred seventy three at bats because he don't. A walk is not considered an at-bat. <laughs>
0: That's nuts. That's nuts. He averaged like two plus at-bats per game technically. And you're getting at least three if you start a game.
1: Wild. I mean, you're left like speechless hearing these types of numbers. He hits 45 just,
0: For those that weren't around during this time, and I, I have a feeling there's not many of you listening to this podcast that are young enough to not remember Barry Bonds. You'll never see anything like that again in your freaking life.
1: Yeah, I remember just watching games where the bases were loaded. And it's like, oh, they're intentionally walking Barry yeah, Bonds, and they're
0: I, walking Barry Bonds.
1: I remember looking at my dad. I'm like, what are they doing? Well, it's, uh, now that yeah. you're like old enough to realize like what's actually happening, he could have just made it four to nothing, or if they're down like five to two, next thing you know, they're up six to five. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, it makes sense. Well, I'd rather still have the lead if you're the opposing team.
0: It's funny because you watch like like Kyle Schwarber last night hit an absolute. Moonshot, four hundred and eighty something feet.
1: I'm not sure if that ball has landed
0: yet. But the crazy thing is, that's the third furthest hit ball in Major League Baseball this year. Barry Bonds would hit the ball that far on a nightly basis, regularly. Yeah, like so. Like I don't. Re- you saw the video of Ryan Howard's face watching that ball leave the park yesterday, and like that's a man that appreciates a long ball. He hit quite a few himself. Yes, just a few. Barry Bonds was hitting balls regularly that far. Like I remember at one point hearing like. Back when we were kids, you'd hear of almost 500-foot home runs. You know, I don't know the last time I heard the f- the five in the front. You know, you hear it like 480, I think, it was what Trevor was last night. I want to say CJ
1: Crone hit one 500 last year in Colorado. I thought
0: like that's that's an asterisk, though, with that elevation uh, benefit.
1: He hit one five oh four. Yeah, it's still ridiculous. Yelich hit one 499. Um, Jesus Sanchez and the Marlins had won 496, and then Ryan McMahon, 495.
0: This year or last year?
1: This is all last year, so. okay. I'll see if there have been any in 2023. I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Looking like the longest in 2023 once this loads up here. Taking a second. Drum roll, please. Uh, Of course, we're starting from T9 all the way down. Number one is 493 by Shohei Otani against the Diamondbacks in L.A.
0: Not a surprise that man could smack the ball.
1: Yeah, 115 miles an hour Although he off did the
0: bat. He did get his surgery this morning. Oh, did he? Uh, I missed that. I haven't been yeah, tracking so on Twitter so he today. is out there expecting him to be ready to bat at the beginning of next season, pitching 25. So we'll see him pitching with McPainter here in Philly. McPainter, freaking Andrew Painter. McPainter, you're combining <laughs> McAble and Andrew Painter? <laughs> no, i will say it's Griff McGarry and yeah, all three. Andrew Painter. Yeah, just a combination of three. All right, last fact for the evening. Uh, This is back in 2022. I believe this was September 20th. Uh, That is correct. September 20th of 2022. Kenyan runner, Elliot Kipchoge, broke his own world record for the marathon, running 26.2 miles in two hours, one minute and nine seconds in Berlin. So was he on a bike or what what was he doing here? I don't know. Dude, it like doesn't seem reasonably like feasibly possible to me. So this is 121 minutes. In nine seconds, so I'm gonna use 121 minutes as my, um, my number here. So 26.2 miles over 120. Sh- yeah, okay. Was running
1: like five minute miles.
0: Yeah, so it was like j- just over four and a half minute miles 426 miles straight. I remember running like a seven minute mile, a seven and a half minute mile once in high school, one one consecutive mile, and thought it was I was amped. This man ran twenty six miles at a four and a half minute mile pace. Remember what like four I remember hearing like one of the big sports history stories was the breaking of the four minute mile. And I knew the name at one point and it's eluding me, but I knew the man that did it.
1: Well, I can brag. I had a 6-minute 36-mile before.
0: Well, that's cool, but you're not running 26 miles in 4 minutes and 4.5 and minutes per mile. Yeah, no, base, that's pretty good.
1: Our baseball coach decided that we had to run a mile every day after practice my senior year. New coach. Oh, yeah, baseball, baseball
0: conditioning is really a key in baseball.
1: Definitely key. started off at 7 minutes, 10 seconds, and by the end of the year, I was down to 6.36. I was quite happy with myself. Well, I'm proud of you, even
0: though I didn't know you at the time.
1: Yeah, 18-year-old me, proud, proud of myself.
0: Yeah, I mean, I used to be able to kind of run. Decently. Distance was never my thing. I always played sports because I like the objective. I don't like to run just to run.
1: Yeah, like I don't know how you, like, if you're a soccer fan, good for you. I, it's just tough for me to watch. Just like, I imagine playing is even more difficult. Just like chasing around a ball for two hours and hopefully score one goal.
0: I have gotten into soccer. Um, shout out to a good friend, Brad Jewell. He got me into the, the Philadelphia Union um, here in Major League Soccer. I mean, I've been a FIFA guy for a long time. Like the game. Yeah, FIFA's um, fun to play, you know. But I've actually gotten into soccer because it like it just took kind of getting like understanding it. When you like it's the excitement and to me it's seeing it in person. The excitement of the guy they break down field and they get close to the box and oh boy. It's like if you know, a guys breaking away in hockey. Granted, that's a smaller field and much faster. But that feeling of that rush down the down the court or down the field or the pitch, as they say, and
1: it is different football. I- I've never been able to appreciate it. Like I'll watch the World Cup when it comes on, just because it. like it's such a big event. They say it's what bigger than Super Bowl because of how popular soccer is. worldwide. yeah.
0: World. Like, on average, it gets like a billion plus viewers over the course of it.
1: It's like I'll watch those events, but like, I'm, like I just have not been able to get into like the MLS. It's crazy what Messi's doing. He seems like he's scoring like a hat trick every time. Yeah, because takes the, it just
0: it just shows the level that the MLS is at. Compared to those European leagues, yeah, because this is like a tail end of his career, Messi. And yeah. He's out here scoring two dominating. goals, dominating. Yeah, they were. Uh, Inter Miami was the bottom team in the Eastern Conference in MLS when he joined them. They're still only 14th out of 16 teams, but they're number two in the MLS power rankings this week because <laughs> because it's that so much of their regular season had gone by, and a lot of what he did is in was in the League's Cup, which is one of their like in season um exhibition cups with the Liga MX out of Mexico. and the union had a good run and they were actually put out by Messi and enter Miami. But that's it's him, Sergio Busquets, uh, I believe Jordi Alba's down there with them as well. So those are three massive names in the world of international soccer over the past decade plus. I was like I only know Messi. I didn't know the other two. Oh yeah. So um I don't love they're doing that. Kinda of ridiculous to be honest. Um but hey, you know what it, if it grows the game, it grows the game and I'm I'm on board for it.
1: Because it is kind of baffling to me that the US like can't
0: win a World Cup. Like I it's not that we can't, it's just our best athletes focus on like, soccer doesn't pay. Right. And like that's our so best thing. athletes like, focus on I mean, imagine if you had top of the line athletes in this country who focus solely on soccer. Not saying that the soccer that US national team guys aren't elite athletes. But like, imagine you like Tyree Hill focused on soccer from a young age, and like Justin Jefferson like in net or something. Yeah, like LeBron just, James, is your power forward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, power forward. That's basketball, Tom. We uh, really, you're really out of Your here power striker. How's that sound? It's still not a thing. Is it, well, strikers, <laughs> that's the you got that part right. The power power striker sounds like a I know power striker an 80s is an actual term. Karate movie. Okay, I got you. But like power forward no, is I what get, I was alluding to. I like, know. I see what you're saying because he's so big. Just like cross the ball to him. Like you see that with Erling Holland over in Manchester City where he's six foot five and they just lob the ball across the middle and he's there to do whatever he needs to.
1: Yeah, like who's gonna out jump LeBron James yeah. when he goes up for that header?
0: Yeah, so dude, I mean in soccer is growing in popularity. I believe there are there are studies out there that show that it is like quickly catching up catching up if not having a clipped baseball in the US for the amount of kids playing it. I remember playing youth soccer. I didn't go much further than that. I played um, one
1: season of it when I was in second grade. It was an indoor <laughs> fall league. I had a decent
0: right foot, but I could not do anything with my left foot at all. Okay. Well, so you can see actually. So, I mean, the U S men's, the U S soccer program would the women have been phenomenal, but U S women's soccer soccer has been like the number one sport for women. I feel like for a long time, they don't have baseball, basketball, football. I mean, softball doesn't really compete, but women's soccer has always been huge. Um, so they've always been a uh, the women's U.S. women's team always been a juggernaut. So them getting knocked out this year was kind of disappointing. Foot and U.S. men, I think, lean towards baseball for the longest time was a big one. Football and basketball, football and soccer overlap in a lot of this country in terms of their season. At least when I was in high school, football and soccer were different or at the same time of year. So yeah, me too. you're losing athletes. I think there's there was more glamour to football, just the the hits and the. The touchdowns, everyone coming out and watching and the tradition behind it, whereas soccer hasn't had the same growth. But what we're seeing now is that the U.S. men's national team, their development programs and MLS having their youth development programs um, is bringing more talent into the fold in the U.S. mix, Um, and they're also attracting guys who have multiple nationalities that they can go play for. So what we're seeing is a really a serious surge in young talent in the U S men's national team. there's some very exciting young prospects out there. The Number one guy is a relatively local. He's not young either. He's kind of one of the vets on the team. Kristen Pulisic. Yeah. I mean, crazy he's a He's Well, like 22 at this point, he's he's probably, I think he's closer to 26, probably 25, maybe. Um, but he's like more of a veteran on the team. He's bounced around. He was in Chelsea at Chelsea. Now he's playing for AC Milan and looking very good for them. He uh, Just turned 25 yesterday. Okay. I would say he's, he's not old. But I feel like he's one of those guys you've heard about for a long time. Um, but they, they've been able to score some young, some steals with some young guys in Yunus Musa, who had some um, multinationality availability. Um, big one in Faliron Uh, uh the the Arsenal striker, who I believe they actually just sold as well um but then all the guys that were developed and raised here in the u.s that are coming through it's a very exciting time if there's a time to get into soccer and now's the time to do it 2026 world cup is coming to the u.s with philly as a host city it's gonna be freaking nuts yeah i think that'll be great to get down to that's I the mean, first we talked about soccer on this podcast so for the two soccer fans out there that might be listening sorry i got you i'm not as knowledgeable as i should be um, and Tom is clearly not knowledgeable about it at all. Yeah, we so could we totally don't talk. change the
1: topic, and I, <laughs> I, could be okay. But so like, we don't
0: talk about it much.
1: I just don't know soccer. I'm not going
0: to sit here and That's act fair. like I, I do know. I what. don't. I don't know much.
1: I can appreciate that those guys are just great athletes because they do run so much, especially the midfielders. You can
0: average five or six miles a game, right? And it's like, not it's not a two hour marathon, but
1: it, it, it'll yeah, do. come back full circle. But. Yeah, to me, like just soccer, it's just a tough watch. Like and this is coming from someone who enjoys hockey and can appreciate a one to nothing hockey game because of like how the game just plays. The but pace is different for the sure. The pace is different because of just how quickly the guys are moving. There's uh, soccer can be physical, but you can get away with a lot more in hockey compared to soccer. Yeah. And then you just never know what you might see from like a Connor McDavid one night. Like I know Messi can do the same type of things on a soccer field and like Ronaldo in his prime. But to me, like in the U S it just hasn't gotten to the level where all the four major sports are. And yeah, I been don't tell for me to, to watch besides the marquee events, like a world cup or an
0: Olympics. I'm not sure we'll ever see it. Uh, you know, at least not for a very long time, get onto that same level. It's working its way there, but it has a lot of room to grow. Um, you are seeing soccer specific stadiums popping up in a lot of cities and expansion teams in MLS. So there's – it's and it's as a league as a whole on the world scale. It's climbing and developing, so, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But let's get back to something that we both know we can talk on, and that's baseball. We're getting to the playoff hunt. We haven't touched on baseball a whole lot outside of some of our facts. A lot's happening, Tom. What's going going on? I know uh, we talk Phillies a lot, obviously, but there's a lot going on. Uh, Some of the other uh, divisions seem to have some better, tighter races, and there's some – very exciting stuff as the season winds down.
1: Yeah, we're coming down to the nitty-gritty of the season. Most teams have about like anywhere from 10 to 15 games left. Um, AL East has a very close race finishing up here. The Orioles just won a series against Tampa Bay Rezo to extend their lead. Um, they're up two and a half games, three in the loss column, with only a handful to play. So it looks like Baltimore might capture a title. Both have clinched a... Um, playoff spot at this point, but it looks like Baltimore might win the AL East, which I don't think many people would have predicted coming into the season. I think no, a lot of people were leaning towards the Yankees or Tampa's always right there, Toronto. I don't think many people had Boston making any sort of like bounce-back no. season.
0: But I think Baltimore was definitely going to be the... It was kind of a wild card in this division because they, for a couple years now, have had the best farm system in baseball, so it was only a matter of time before that either started to come to fruition in the big leagues or it fizzled out and they sold those prospects off for them. It's worked out well. And those prospects have really developed very nicely for them. There's a lot of homegrown talent. That's, I mean, I don't, I can't think of any like big money talent, too much big money talent going on down there. It's been pretty well homegrown.
1: Yeah. I think their biggest off season acquisition, like free agent wise was Kyle
0: Gibson. I was going to say Kyle Gibson jokingly, but I think I,
1: yeah, I don't remember them bringing anyone else in because you no. rushed him in a catcher. He's homegrown, like, Mount Castle, Then you got Gunnar Henderson. Let's see who else they got there. Blanking Cedric Mullins, he's homegrown. Um, Aaron Hicks they brought in, like, midseason because the Yankees waived him just, like, as a platoon player because oh, yeah. Mullins got hurt. Um, they brought up one of their better prospects recently, Hedston uh, Kierstad, I'm probably butchering your name. Oh, Hest- yeah,
0: Heston Kirstad.
1: Um, and then they have the number one prospect in baseball who was just drafted last year, Jackson. Jackson holiday son of Matt Holiday. I think he's 21 at this point. He's now in AAA, and he's just absolutely torching every level of ball he's at. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, maybe they call him up for, like, the postseason. You never know if he continues to progress and is hitting AAA well.
0: Why not? I feel like he's, like, a, like, he's, like, right? He's a Bobby Witt type of player with... Yeah, he's just
1: got all the tools
0: and even more potential. And yeah,
1: seems like he's baseball's next big thing. Every I think every ranking prospect list you can look at has him as the top prospect in baseball. So Baltimore has certainly done it right, and it's good to see that they are doing it. Because last year was kind of like frustrating if you were an Orioles fan. They were right there in like the thick of the wild card race, but ended up like selling their top two like relievers out of the bullpen. At least our closer Jorge Lopez, who was oh yeah, um, an All Star. And then they traded him to the Twins. I think it was the Twins last offseason. Or in the middle of the season, it's the trade to the deadline, excuse me. And as, like, in the clubhouse and, like, the fan base, that kind of just has to be, like, demoralizing to an extent because it's like we're right there, and then you go away and trade our closer.
0: Yeah, to some extent, it sounds like there might be some minor dysfunction in, like, the front office there because there was that whole thing with, like, their announcer earlier in the year. And yeah, I have heard, like, mixed things out the Angeles family um, that runs that team owns that owns that organization Um, and it's unfortunate because it's a long it's a storied or storied team storied organization long history that i think that it's a family that deserves a good team because they've come out supported year in and year out baltimore's not the biggest city um but you never hear them you never hear stories of them not pulling fans not drawing crowds like it's just there's a team that really resonates with their fan base so i'd love to see them succeed plus that uh those orange that orange they use is just, there's just something about it
1: it's a beautiful stadium i've been down there once Oh,
0: i've never been it's on my list
1: we'll have to make a trip down there now it is funny with that trade last year that i believe that uh Yaniri cano i'm probably butchering his first name but he was part of that trade that brought um jorge lopez to minnesota cano came to baltimore and then Lopez was actually, like, cut earlier, like, a month or two ago and put on waivers and has re-signed, since re-signed with the Orioles. So it kind of comes full circle. Like the
0: Orioles kind of won that deal. Yeah, <laughs> I would
1: say because Lopez became, like, you never know what you get with those relievers. They have Heckle and Jide and have Jekyll and Hyde. Sorry. <laughs> You never know. It's like year uh, to year. It's like are they good? It's like Craig Kimbrel this year with the Phillies. Like last year, he was not very good with the Dodgers. Was not on their NLDS
0: roster. No, he's a real Heikel and Jag kind of guy.
1: Exactly. I'm glad you're paying attention. <laughs> so, and then he's having, an, I would say, a very good year. I wouldn't say a great or outstanding
0: year with the Phillies this year. No, Craig has but he's quite been very good. good. Yeah, better than we better than I anticipated certainly. Because I think when we saw when the news came out that they signed him, I believe I one of us texted the other. I want to say I probably texted you and said this was, looks great in 2015 or whatever, and just didn't expect a whole lot, but he's been very good. Um, even the losses, the late-game losses he's been picking up, largely because of those uh, that base runner rule we talked about last week. But um, now you got me thinking about young young baseball players, and the one I'm not going to go on into it too much, and I'm really excited to see come through the our, the organization around here in the next few years is Justin Crawford. He had a phenomenal year across the various levels batting solid 300s stealing bases phenomenal defensive center fielder if he can start to
1: elevate the ball i'm not asking him to hit like 30 plus homers but just have like line drive gap to gap power yeah instead of just beating the ball into the ground so much he could be a you know a all-star caliber type center fielder yeah that's fears
0: down the road though
1: Yeah, he's definitely a few years away. I'm very excited about what Johan Rojas is doing. He is. Oh, yeah.
0: He's their everyday center center fielder at this point, I feel like.
1: He has to be. I mean, even when a righty is on the mound, I don't think you can take him out just because of how great his defensive play is. He looks like he is a gold-glove caliber defensive center fielder out there.
0: Yeah, I need to read. I saw an article that popped up right before we started doing this where it was like Johan Rojas is breaking all the defensive metrics where he's just like there's something so ridiculous about the way he's playing center field. Um, and the fact that that's because we knew that's what he was going to be good at, it's his ability to put the bat on the ball it has been very surprising to me. Like, I was expecting him to come up here, and be like a 180 hitter, but playing phenomenal, being a defensive replacement and like pinch runner. Yeah, he was promoted straight from double A because Christian Pache got
1: hurt. Oh, yeah, saw so him play for the running, f- running, fighting fills. So there wasn't much of like an expectation for Rojas. Marsh had really kind of taken over as the everyday center fielder. But Marsh just hasn't been successful against left-handed pitchers, so Rojas got that opportunity, and he's kind of just ran with it ever since. I mean, he's got a 2.3 war for playing in – where's he at here? Where are the amount of games? 50. He's in 50 games so far this year for the Phillies, and he's batting – he's actually hitting 300 on the season. I know it's a small sample size, but still, 300 is 300 – And for someone who was in double a not too long ago, he's really holding his own. He actually hit his first legit home run last night. His first career home run was off a position player. So to see his actual first home second home run come off a actual pitcher is good to see. Yeah, I saw he last night.
0: I saw he got one finally. And that was good because as fun as that first home run was, uh, it feels a
1: little cheap hitting it off of a position player.
0: Yeah, he popped that thing, which was pretty entertaining.
1: Which, I mean, I think it was well-deserved because the guy was imitating Craig Campbell on the mound. I thought that was
0: hilarious, and everyone seemed to be enjoying it. Um, that was actually, well, back to the Twins. That was the Twins game, actually. They uh, beat up on, on him pretty good that day. So, Tom, any other fun baseball stories, or do we... Uh...
1: No, I mean, we could keep talking baseball for another hour. I feel like the AL <laughs> West the is a very interesting division as well. You got the Astros, Rangers, and Mariners all separated by one game in the lost column. So that'll be interesting to see who pulls out the AL West. Um, the NL East is wrapped up. The NL West is wrapped up. Pretty much the NL Central is wrapped up, too. The Brewers are up six over the Cubs and Reds with not many games to play. Gotcha. So really, I mean, the Twins, too, they're up seven with uh, only a handful of games left to play. So I like, you would need epic collapses for either the Twins or Brewers to give up those division leads. So really, it's just going to come down to who wins the wild card and the AL East and AL West. Um, right. Phillies are looking good in the one spot for that NL wild card, which means they will be getting a home series to start the postseason. Hopefully, another red October here in Philadelphia. But can't really dive in too much more. I know we're kind of getting up against our time <laughs> limit here for the night. Um, we will have a baseball focused postseason episode coming up here shortly. Yeah, now.
0: maybe do a whole a second little episode on top of our normal. We haven't done a I don't, I think the last mini so type deal we did was actually baseball opening day. So yeah, right um, around there. We like the could be drew because we did the, the draft one and then opening day. Well, we're getting to the playoffs, so maybe we'll get into that. So we'll keep, we'll hold on to any more baseball thoughts for the for this week, and we'll come back at you hot and heavy next week with some good baseball. Um, we'll have a whole lot of baseball between now and then. Another week of football will be in the books. Uh, Tom, any any bold predictions for this upcoming weekend? Uh, I'm putting you on the spot. So if you don't have any, that's no, fair. I don't.
1: I honestly, don't even know the schedule. I know the 49ers and Giants. I think play Thursday night. They sure do. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything. That's left okay. I
0: totally put you on the spot. Maybe if you if you come with a bold prediction, throw it up on Twitter. So those of you that follow us on Twitter, you'll see it on there. If you don't, you'll find it on there. Um, because I don't either. I'll say the
1: Chargers get off the snide. They travel to Minnesota this week. I don't know if that's a bold get off prediction. The Actually, I think both teams are 0-2, right? Because the Vikings they haven't won either.
0: Yeah, Vikings are 0-2 as well. So somebody has to come away with a win I think there. the Chargers do it. I think the Vikings are overrated as uh, as usual. So that'll wrap it up for this week. Follow us on at Going Back Pod at, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you find your podcast. We appreciate your support week in and week out. And, Tom, what do you got for us? Anything good?
1: Yeah, and just to recap from last week, if you didn't know the movie, that was The Hangover. Brian knew that one immediately told me after we stopped recording. Yes, sir. And then just another one. Um, this one resonated from back when I was playing high school baseball. My high school coach told me, if you are five minutes early, you are actually ten minutes late.
0: I think I know that one as well. We'll bring it to you next week on Going Back, Back, Back. Peace.